Um, I'm going to give you a quick recap of last week, and then we're going to carry on. Sorry, if you two don't mind moving over here, because I'm going to be using the whiteboard. Thank you. Okay, so we talked about the difference between salvation and sanctification. Salvation is something that happens right away. Salvation is instantaneous. God saves us, right? Nothing that we did, God does it. We just submit to it. Um, sanctification is something that starts in the same instant. The minute we're saved, sanctification starts, but it's a process. It's a process that goes on our entire lives. The definition of sanctification is the process by which we are made holy. That's what sanctification means. And it starts at salvation and it continues. Um, the way I like to say it is the process by which God is helping us to become more like Jesus. Right? Sanctification is how we become more like Jesus. It's going on all the time. God directs it. He uses other people in our lives. He uses discipleship. He uses our church. He uses teaching. He uses a lot of things to push us further and further down the road of sanctification. And sanctification is like a giant topic, right? It's like a huge thing. Um, and so under that comes a lot of the stuff we preach about. It comes peace and forgiveness and ministry and all that kind of stuff falls kind of under the big umbrella category of sanctification, of making us more like Jesus. But it's not something that God does. He doesn't wave a magic wand and we're more like Jesus. It starts when we're saved, but then it's a process, a process that we have to cooperate with. Okay? This is where our free will comes in. Free will doesn't really play a role in salvation. God saves us. There's nothing we could do. We can't do it, okay? We just submit to it. Yes, yes, I'll take that, okay? But sanctification, that's where our free will comes into play. And if we refuse the process, then the process becomes very slow. <laughs> and it doesn't work that well. Um, Philippians 2.13, God is always at work within you. I love the word always. He is always at work within you to make you more willing and more able to obey him. Isn't that wonderful? Even when we are resisting, even when we are not really cooperating so much with God's plan, he's still working it. He's still working at it in us okay, to make us both more willing and more able to obey him. But if we cooperate with the Spirit, the process works way better and goes way faster. Um, and it's just, it's just nicer <laughs> in every way. So um, that's kind of sanctification in a nutshell. And last week, we, we asked God some questions and listened and wrote down the answers. And that's something I encourage you guys to do regularly. Ask God things like, what fruits of the Spirit are you trying to do you want me to cultivate right now? What things do you want me to study right now? What are you doing in my life right now? What areas of sanctification are you working on? And then you listen, and then you do it. And you listen, you can ask friends, you can ask other people, you can do this over a period of time, it doesn't have to be one listening exercise. If you're not quite at the point where you can listen once and hear, that's okay, just learn, right? My sheep hear my voice, it will work. Just keep, just keep doing it like little sheep, you will learn to hear his voice. And once you know what it is God's doing in your life right now, then it's like, great, now I can cooperate with that. God's trying to build patience in me. Okay, when traffic gets bad and I'm annoyed, oh wait, this is an opportunity to learn patience. Okay, I'm not gonna be upset with this, I'm gonna do it, okay? I have to go to the DMV today. Jesus, help me. But it's an opportunity to learn patience, right? Um, and the, here, here's a trick, okay? The more we do that and actively cooperate with the Holy Spirit, the less often we have to go through all these tests that we don't like taking. I'm not saying they will stop altogether, but... At some point, God needs us to become more like Jesus. 
That's like our purpose, right? And so if we're resisting that, if we're not cooperating with the program, he's like, all right, I'm going to throw you something that's kind of going to force it. <coughs> right? That makes sense, doesn't it? So the more we cooperate, the, the smoother the sanctification process goes. And I'm not saying that means if you do the right stuff, your life will go perfect. Not what I'm saying at all. You're still going to have tests. You're still going to have the major final exams or the master classes like Joel was talking about um, a few times in our life. But the more we cooperate, the better it goes, the faster it goes, and the more we understand what it is that God is doing in our life. The harder the test is that we're going through, the more confused we tend to be. Because we expect life to go well, we expect it to be perfect, and we expect that if we follow after God, everything's going to be great. That's not in here anywhere. I've read this. Turns out I've read the whole thing, and that's not in here. What is in here is Romans 2.28, which you know. For all those who love God and are called according to his purpose, God works all things together for good. He works all things for good. So even stupid situations, even bad situations, even purposeless situations, God will insert purpose into that purposeless situation. And he will say, I am going to make good come out of this for you. And I'm going to help you to become more like Jesus through this horrible thing. It doesn't, it's not meaningless. It's not purposeless. Because you have a God who works all things for good, even the tough stuff. And the bigger the risk, the bigger the reward. You've probably heard that, right? And so if there's a tiny test, our opportunity to reach sanctification is great. And, but it's smaller than a giant test. The more risk, the more struggle, suffering, difficulty, the more faith that's required, whatever the test happens to be, the more God asks of us, the more we're going to get out of it, the bigger the reward. The primary reward being sanctification, becoming more like Jesus. Okay? I'm not talking about if you give offerings, God will make you rich and give you a BMW. We're not talking about that kind of stuff. We're talking about spiritual things here. Okay? Question. Phrasing this as test doesn't mean it's a God-ordained thing that is happening. God right. doesn't need to cause bad things to happen in the world to test us. There is sin and bad things in the world, and God can then yep. use those. Because that becomes very difficult, too, if you're thinking, okay, this terrible thing has happened to me, and God's making it happen? That doesn't necessarily And that's how we feel. That's how we feel. We tend to feel like God is doing this. Feel free to turn your chairs, because I'm going to be at the whiteboard for a little while. Um... We feel like God's not there. Where is God? Why isn't he helping me? Part of that is our expectations are wrong. We view all tests and all struggle as bad because we're still little kids inside. Anything we don't like is bad, right? But that's not true. And all parents know that. Grandparents know that. Sometimes you have to make the kids do stuff they don't want to do because they have to, because it's good for them. Not everything that's difficult in our life is something God threw at us. Okay, Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. The point of that is don't worry. But what's that also say? Tomorrow's got enough trouble of its own. There's trouble tomorrow. Every day. That's life. That is this world that we live in that's, that's inescapable. Jesus never promised us that we'd never have any trouble. He, in fact, promised us we would have trouble. And the more we're following after him, the more trouble we'll have because we'll end up being persecuted by the enemy or other people for his name. Which is a reward, not a punishment. Okay, But God will take us in that situation. He'll look at that situation and say, hey, what a perfect opportunity. And he inserts purpose into that situation or into the struggle you're going through. 
So now it means something. Now it's valuable. We tend to view difficulties, problems, suffering as bad. They're not. They're the best opportunities in our lives. The best opportunities to become more like Jesus. The best opportunities to get rewards from God. The best opportunities for spiritual authority. There are certain things in the spirit that you can only get after a massive trial or massive suffering. It's just the way it is. I don't know why. But it is. That's a good statement. There are some things, there are some peace that can only be found on the other end of battle. There are some rewards that can only be found at the other end of a fight or at the other end of suffering. There's no other way. There's no way around it. And God loves us, and we tell him, you can have our whole lives. And so he says, okay. James and John said, we want to sit at your right and at your left. They even made their mom come and try to convince Jesus of it, right? And... Jesus is like, you don't understand what you're asking. Why does he say that? Because to sit at his right and his left meant they suffered the most. You don't know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink this cup that I'm going to drink? That's the cup of his suffering. Are you able to drink this cup? And they're like, sure, sure. And they still don't understand. And he's like, well, you will drink it. But who's on my right, who's on my left, that's, that's not up to me. It's up to us. And are we going to follow what it is that God's calling us to do? God anointed this little kid named David to be king. He's about Andrew's age. He'll be a year older. Andrew's going to be 12 in like two months. So he's about that age. He anoints David king. What happens next? Nothing. Nothing happens. We need a new king. Here he is. Nothing. Weird, right? So the next we hear of him, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And there's a massive army there. It's the Philistines. They're attacking again. They've done a champion challenge. You face your champion against our champion. Whoever wins, wins the battle and loots the other people. Right? They did that back then. It saved a lot of lives. It was, it was not, not a terrible thing. The problem is their champion was a literal giant. We don't know how big Goliath was, but he's huge. Okay? Like nine feet or something. Insane. And actually, I think it actually tells you how heavy his sword was and stuff like that. It's crazy. And everybody looks at Goliath and says, oh, no, we're dead. And God looks at Goliath and says, oh, yes, this is perfect. And David looks at Goliath and says, oh, yes, this is perfect. Why? Because there's something you can get from killing a giant that you can't get from any other kind of battle. David understood that. And he looked at Goliath and said, ooh, this is going to be great for Israel. God is going to deliver us in a mighty way. And it's going to be awesome. Everybody's going to love it and tell their kids. And Saul's like, we're going to die. And David's like, fine, if none of you will fight him, I'll do it. Again, kid, giant. But he had faith. He trusted God. He knew God knew what was going on. He had the perspective to look down from above and not to look up at the giant and say, oh, no. But we see the giants, we see the problems, we see the difficulties, and we say, woe is me. We say, God, I can't possibly get out of this. What are we going to do? And God says, I know, isn't it awesome? And the harder it is and the bigger it is, the better it will be for us. That's hard to swallow when Goliath shows up at your door or calls you on the phone. Okay? Okay? But we got to get this through our souls so that when Goliath does show up, or one of his buddies, or whatever else it is, we're like, okay. Or shows up in court. Or, sh- or takes us to court, yeah. And this is the different perspective God has on our lives than we have. 
And the fact that we don't have God's perspective on our lives is honestly a cause for a lot of that suffering that, we occur, that, that happens to us. The suffering that happens to us is because we expect things to go this way and they go this way. And God's saying, well, I, I, where are you getting this? Idea that you're not going to struggle and that everything's going to be easy. That's, that's not in here. I never said it. I would be with you always, is what I said. I will work all things for good, is what I said. I will be with you and set a table before you in the presence of your enemies, is what I said. That's who I am. I'm not a magic wand. We want God to be the magic wand. We want him to be the magic checkbook. We want him to be all that stuff, but he's not. Sanctification takes place over time. And I'm going to do this again if I can find my eraser. So this is your heart. I'm not an artist, as you can see. Sarah looked at my name tag today and said, I can't tell if you did that or if one of the kids did that. <laughs> and I said, well, if either of our daughters did it, it would look much nicer than this. Um, even today, I was writing this, and Kaylee's like, do you want me to help you with that, Dad? <laughs> so allow me to uh, work in my weakness here. So this is your heart. When we get saved, our heart is filled with junk. This is like a poop brown color because that's pretty much what's in our heart. <laughs> when we get saved, it's all us. It's all ourselves. It's just junk. It's crap. This long, thorny, evil weed is something that we need to forgive in our lives, something that happened to us. Uh, it's low, so in this analogy, we're saying it happened when we were young. And there's a little squiggly thing over here. We'll call that a temptation. And then there's something right here that we'll get to in a minute. And so as we go through our lives, we get more and more sanctified, which means we must decrease, he must increase. That's what John the Baptist said, and I like that. And so he decreases us. The us starts to go away. We give it to God. We become more like Jesus. And when that happens, that then reveals things in our heart that we didn't know were there, didn't realize were there, just weren't affecting us in the same way, okay? And so now we've been walking with Jesus for a while, and all of a sudden, things aren't going that well. We're having problems. We've got, we've got all these thorns in our life. We've got things happening that we don't like. We've got these temptations going on. And we're like, ah, salvation was so great. Being a Christian was so awesome. And it was, it was great. It was going really well. And now it's super hard. What's the deal with that? Well, that's the deal with that. The, the metaphor for sanctification in the Bible, my favorite, is gold being refined in the fire. You've all heard this, right? Now, when you stick gold in the fire... How does the gold feel? Not good. I'm hot. I'm dying. Knock it off with the fire. Will ya? Okay? The gold does not like the fire. Trust me. But it's the only way to refine it to get the impurities out of the gold. When the impurities start to come out, and the goldsmiths call that dross, the dross covers the gold. And so the gold's in the fire. It's being refined. All the nasty stuff comes out. And now the beautiful gold is covered with all this nasty slime. And that's what this is. This is us being refined, now covered with nasty slime, going, what's the deal? Why am I angry all the time? Very common one. Never struggled with anger before. Why am I angry all the time? Senior year in high school, I had never struggled with anger. Senior year, I punched a hole in my wall. And I thought, huh, well, that's, that's weird. Why did I do that? I don't know. I guess I was angry. So I had to search and figure out what is going on in here that made me do something so bizarre that I had never done before. And so then we do this, and we deal with the forgiveness. We give it over to the Lord. We work through the temptation, and we give those things to the Lord. And that's awesome. 
And then we're like, yay, this is great. And life is good. And God says, excellent. Now I want you to give me your heart. Give me everything you've got. You've got all this nice open space here now that you didn't have before. I want every inch of that, please. And we say, I'm going to give you 100% of my heart, God. And so we do. We give him 100% of what we have access to at the time. But that's not 100% of our actual heart, right? In reality, let's just call this 10%. Don't look at the size. It doesn't matter. I'm not a good artist. Okay? We say, God, I give you everything, which is relative to what we have access to. It's actually only 10%. But sanctification continues, and it continues. And so this is us now. We're going to do a time lapse here. So this, now we're here, but we're going to keep going because God's going to keep sanctifying us, right? And we, he keeps going, and he keeps going. And now, look at that. He's cleared out so much more of ourselves. And that's not an easy process. It's not as easy as an eraser on a whiteboard. It's sanctification. It's tough. There are tests. There's cooperation involved. It's not always fun, and it kind of hurts a lot of the time to get that ourself scraped away, to remember that we're dead in baptism and that now we're somebody new. We have to be reminded of that constantly. But eventually this happens, and now we've got a lot more space, but look what got unearthed by the Holy Spirit through this process of sanctification. There's still something there. There's still something here. And this is really common, especially after we've been walking with the Lord for a little while, to have old sins or temptations or difficulties, ways of thinking, to have old uh, problems, things that happen to you or things that you need to forgive, resurface. And we're like, what is the deal? I dealt with that. Do I suck at forgiveness? Or, or, or what's going on? Am I going nuts? Uh, a lot of people, <laughs> I've talked to so many people, okay, in this series that think they're backslidden. I guess I'm backsliding. Because I used to be fine with these things and now I'm not. That's really common. I guess I'm backsliding. I need help. I need a word from God. Or they say, I'm losing it. I am losing it. What's my deal? What's my problem? I, I'm getting all emotional. What's, what's the deal? I'm losing it. Um, and all it is, is good. <laughs> it's a good thing. God is sanctifying you. He's getting rid of more of yourself. And you just have to forgive again. And I talked last week about when I was in college and I went through this. And it was really difficult. I thought I was going nuts. I thought I must be terrible at forgiving because I already forgave all this stuff and now here it is again. And it's worse than before. Because the root was thicker and it was thornier and it was nastier. Okay? But I just had to work through it again, and I had to forgive again, and I had to give it up again, and I worked through these temptations, and they, as it turned out, they were like connected, and I didn't realize that. Okay, so God will lead you through this process if you humble yourself and cooperate with God. He will lead you through this process. Okay, and now we get down to here, and again, it's a process. It keeps going. It keeps going. And let's say you get to here now, and you unearth something different, something else. This is a tear, a tear in your heart, a hole, a crack in your foundation, something that has always affected you, but you didn't know it was there. You didn't know what it was, and you didn't know why. And you get to this, and you have a life crisis. Punctuated sanctification is what I call the experiences when we go through that's not normal sanctification. It's not normal tests. It's the really hard stuff. It's really difficult stuff. I did a little like fake EKG earlier. Like this is life. It goes along like this. There's little tests, like little mountains, and then it's nice. Little mountains, and then it's nice. We want it to be a nice straight line. No problems. No tests. Everything's peaceful. Everything's calm. My life is great. In fact, when our life is going great, we say, I am so blessed right now. 
But what's that saying? That's saying that during the times when things are difficult, I'm not blessed. Or not as much. Or I don't like that kind of blessing. I like this kind of blessing. And guess what? That's honesty. We're, we're, that's, that's how we feel, right? And God is like, but that's not how it works. Sometimes the blessing comes in a form that we would not choose. And so these tests come. And this is like normal life. We have little tests. We have them every week. You know, we had one a couple nights ago. And then you get into a different season. Punctuated means at varying intervals, there's a huge leap. It's a scientific word, okay? So punctuated sanctification is like, here's normal sanctification. This is big one. Big one. Sometimes these big ones are tough. They're difficult. But sometimes we go through certain seasons in our life. Most of us will go through a couple of these, maybe even a few. But they keep coming. The hits keep coming. You heard Joel's testimony. It's one thing after another. And just when, it, when, you're, when you're in this little spot, that's you. <laughs> when you're in here, <laughs> good artist, like I said. You try to climb this thing, and you can't. You just can't. You can't do it on your own. You cannot do this on your own. And it's really hard to hear the voice of God. Here's God. He's happy. He's speaking to you. And uh, you allow... You allow this situation to get in the way. It's hard to hear God when we're in these really tough times, whether we run into one of these or whether it's one of these. This is, situa this is more situational, okay? This is life is killing you right now, okay? It could be any number of things. It could be a severe illness. It could be some bizarre insanity like, like Joel was sharing about. I mean, that's, that's crazy. I would not have put that on a list of things that might happen to people, Okay? It could be any number of things. It could be orchestrated by the devil. It could just be life. It could just be illness. People get sick. It could be any number of those things, okay? I'm not saying God is ruining your life here. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that when your life feels like it's being ruined, God is going to come in, and he's going to put purpose in this, and he's going to make it mean something. And just when you think you can't possibly take it anymore, then it starts doing that, okay? That sounds awesome, right? Um, that's what I call punctuated sanctification. That is when God, that is Goliath. Okay? That is cancer. Okay? That is someone died. They weren't supposed to die yet. Any number of things can kind of put us into this season of life. Okay? So it's not any one thing. It also might not be any of those big things. It might just be like a ton of stuff in general. Life is just squeezing us and killing us. I call this situational thing, I call it the crucible. That's the vessel that you put the gold in when you stick it in the fire. It's called the crucible. Okay? That's what this is. It's the crucible. I also, in, in seminary, I experienced this. I called it a pressure cooker at the time. But it's this similar metaphor. Okay? Everything is just pushing in from all sides. And so I am working 15 hours a day. My wife is working even more. We hardly ever see each other. That's hard on a marriage. Okay? She's in med school. I'm in seminary. We see each other occasionally. Okay? I'm working really hard. There's a lot of stuff going on. I'm getting paid in my internship, and then they run out of money and say, sorry, we can't pay you anymore. And I don't have any other income, so that's tough. God, it, so it's multiple things in this case, in my, in my case. God is <coughs> blowing up my brain with understanding and theology and changing my views on things and messing me up and showing me that my exact perfect ordered theology that I had created for myself when I was in college was all a bunch of crap. And almost none of that was real. And I just made it up to feel better. And, and I was just, ugh. <laughs> okay? 
<laughs> this, and it was everything there was, and then what does the devil do? The devil's like, ooh, here's an opportunity. He's vulnerable. So the devil comes in with temptations and lies and difficulties and emotional stuff, things that you've already dealt with. Because God is rapidly erasing stuff away, erasing you away, me in this case. And so then other stuff comes up. So that was, that was one of my crucible times was, was during seminary. And it was really tough. And then God's like, is it tough enough? Okay, I want you to plant a church. I want you to plant a church among young adults who have no money. And I know you don't know what you're doing, but that's okay. You're doing the money. Okay, so I'm up here. And God is saying, I, what I'd like you to do is just jump off the cliff. So I did. <laughs> and it ended up being awesome because God's awesome. Okay? And even when we don't understand what the heck is going on, he is there, like Joel was saying. He is there. It doesn't feel like he's there. You can't hear him. You may not be able to see him. None of it makes sense to you. But he is there anyway. Man, guys, this is when this becomes your lifeline. You're drowning in the water and the Holy Spirit throws you this and you hang on to this thing, okay? Because you can't see, you can't hear, you can't feel. It makes no sense. You are so confused. You think you're losing your freaking mind. But you hang on to this lifesaver. I don't know what the heck is going on, but I know what this says about me and about God and that he will never leave me or forsake me. I don't feel him here. I feel like he's left me, but that is a lie. It is a lie and I'm not going to believe it because he won't leave me or forsake me. You hang on to this. I printed out scriptures, a bunch of them that I felt like were important and I kept them in my pocket and I pulled them out multiple times a day and read them. Eventually I memorized them all and I didn't have to do that, which is even better. And I just quoted those scriptures. Every time I had fear, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. I did not feel any power. I did not feel any love. And I certainly didn't feel like I had a sound mind. I felt like I was going nuts. And I couldn't do it. I can't do this, God. I can't do this, God. That was like my mantra. And God said, that's a dumb mantra. Unless, <laughs> unless that leads you to say, I can't do this, God, so you please do it, God which is, of course, where I got to, through humility. Open up your Bible, 1 Peter. My testimony was exactly the same from seminary. That's when it hit me. That's when I had to carry things around in my pocket. The verses, yeah. You, you shared that just a couple weeks ago. Yeah. If you want another testimony about it, Paul shared about this just like a month ago here, about his fairly similar experience. It is so important that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit during these times. Okay. It is so important that we cooperate with the Spirit. It is difficult. <laughs> it is really difficult to do, but we have to do it. First Peter chapter 1. I'm just going to read a few verses. We could read the whole book because this is what the book is about, so I recommend reading it. First Peter 6. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. These aren't little trials. These are trials that grieve you. So that's a very serious word. You've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, there's that word test again, more precious than gold that perishes in honor, uh, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though, if you, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you're here. You don't see him right now. You don't feel him. You don't hear him right now. 
Though you do not see him now, you believe and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, which is, listen to this, the salvation of your souls. Now, the word salvation there doesn't mean like going to heaven. It means like being saved from your enemies. You're in one of these. What do you want? I want salvation. I need salvation. How do I get it? He just told us. Okay? He just outlined some stuff. I'm going to write it down to make it easier. Okay. So the first one, and this is actually later that he talks about this, but uh, can't spell either, apparently. <laughs> humility. <laughs> okay. Right. Pretty terrible. Um, so the first one is humility. We always start with humility. Okay? Anytime we want to pass a test, anytime we want to do anything with God, we have to start with humility. It's not about you. It's about God. Okay? But then what he says is he says that we need to trust. And I'm going to come back to that. We need to trust. He says we need to rejoice. And not just a little rejoice. Rejoice with like exceedingly great joy. So that's honest, genuine rejoicing in the midst of that. What? What is there to rejoice about in that? Find it. Find it. God will help you find it. If you can rejoice in this, you can get out of it. It's the only way out. Faith. And finally, this one kind of goes without saying. I think I spelled that right. Persevere. Okay. <laughs> Persevere because it's a time thing. These tests, sanctification, the process is a time thing. So there's, there's an amount of time. These big ones that I'm talking about, they might last months. Okay? There's a time factor here. So we start in humility. We trust. And if you're having trouble trusting in God, you need more of his love. Trust comes from love. The more you understand God loves you, really, really, really loves you, the more you know that he's good. And it's very easy to trust God when you know he's good. Okay? So if trusting God right now is tough, you need to dig deep into that love. Deep, deep, deep till you're rooted and grounded in that love. His love for you. Okay? If you can get more of his love, that'll lead to more trust. Rejoicing, that's a tough one. That's pure will. <laughs> you need to ask the Holy Spirit to help you to rejoice even though you don't want to. It's easy to maybe start with peripheral things. I rejoice that we have heat and it's not freezing. I don't know. Start with little stuff. <laughs> start with little stuff. Go into big stuff. When you see what God is doing here, you will eventually start to rejoice in the midst of this. Thank you that this is happening. I don't like it. It's not fun, but I know what you're doing. I understand what you're doing. You're helping me to become more like Jesus in a really big way. And so thank you for that. Faith. Uh, faith comes from two things. Belief and obedience. Faith means you believe and you obey. Okay? It's not just this one. It's this one. Again, an act of your will. You have to obey and you have to keep doing it. You have to keep doing these things. You have to persevere. If you can do those five things, you will pass any test. Any test. Any. Any, any test. Do that. Okay? That is easier said than done. Okay? It is really hard to trust when you are drowning. It's hard. Because we feel abandoned, which means we feel a lack of love, which means we kind of question the goodness of God. And that's not a recipe for trust. That's the opposite. Yep. Okay? 
the Israelites failed their test in the wilderness, didn't they? God released them with mighty miracles. It was amazing. I'm getting hot here. Preaching too much. Um, it was like the most amazing thing that had ever happened. And they got out, but they were still slaves in their mind. They weren't transformed by the renewing of their mind. And so what did they do? They whined and they worried. Whine and worry. Whine and worry are evidence of lack of trust. Okay? Lack of trust, or as the Old Testament calls it, unbelief. So they died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. An entire generation of people died in the wilderness because of their unbelief. We will fail our test if we worry and whine. I know you hate that one. I know you hate it because worry is the natural response to difficulty. And whining feels good when things are bad. I'm not saying pretend. I'm not saying lie. It's okay to say things are really tough right now, okay? But whining is evidence of the lack of that. And worry is just a flat-out testimony of a lack of that. So we trust. We dive into his love, and we push forward. And this can be a daily thing. We have to maybe do this multiple times a day. Rejoice. I, that might be the hardest one. And that takes some time. It takes some time for God to teach you how to rejoice. But remember Psalm 23. He set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I am surrounded by people trying to murder me. Okay? I'm in the presence of enemies. They're all trying to kill me. What is God doing? He's setting a lunch table, and I'm going to lay down and have lunch for like two hours. Because that's the old Hebrew lunch thing. That's what they did. They just lied down, ate for a super long time. There's people like banging swords on shields, being like, we will kill David. We will kill David. He's like, I don't even care. Because I have learned rest. I have learned peace. I've been in the midst of that kind of situation. But that takes time. And that might be what your test is about. That might be the purpose God put into your test is so you can learn peace. So you can learn rest in any situation. So you can get more of this by getting more of this. Maybe God's like, the main problem is you need more of this, and so I'm going to put this purpose into this situation so that this will lead you to more of that, and that's good for you. John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but this is kind of an everyday salvation. Right. I, I think this is talking about, like, save from your situation. Save me. Save from ourselves, almost. It, 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 really, it is save from ourselves. Because ultimately, what power does the world have over us? None. But we give it power because we expect it to go perfectly. And when it doesn't, mm, <laughs> Um The other thing, and I'm just going to briefly intro this, and then we'll, we'll do it next week. So that's one type of this kind of massive final exam masterclass. I call it the crucible, whatever you want to call it. It's more situational. The other one is this. When at some point through the sanctification process, a tear in your heart is revealed. Um, so gold is refined in the fire, and the dross comes out to the surface, and you find often anger, you find temptation, <coughs> you find these kind of things happening. And they happen in little ways. They happen when, when this is happening too. But when it's bigger, when there's something like this, it happens in a much bigger way. And again, we just need to cooperate with the spirit. The, the way out of this is very similar. But this is not situational, it's emotional. Okay, this is an emotional thing, an internal thing. Life might put us in one of these kind of crises, a crucible kind of crisis. God decides to do heart surgery. A situation doesn't give you heart surgery. 
God decides, all right, we have revealed this, and you have a hole in your heart, and you're going to die. So you need surgery. And God says, I'm going to fix that for you. And he does. And it sucks. And it's really hard. Anybody had surgery before? Physical? Like in the, in the natural? Okay, I've had like three, I think. Um, surgeries are not fun. Heart surgery is really not fun. They crack your chest open. They like touch on your heart. They, yeah, it's like, it, it's, it's one of these little ones, right? No, heart surgery is kind of a big deal. They, usually they, they kill you. Did you hear that? They kill you. Some of us are in situations like that, and we think to ourselves, I can't take it anymore. I am losing my mind. People tell me I'm bipolar. I'm freaking out. What is going on? I don't understand my life. I don't understand anything. What is happening? This is going to kill me. And God says, that's the plan. And if you let me do that, I can fix you. What if the surgeon said, what if you're laying on the surgery table and you're like, no, please, please, no, don't, I don't want surgery, I don't want surgery. And the surgeon's like, oh, okay, fine, go. So you leave and you die and you don't come back because you didn't get your heart fixed. Is the surgeon going to do that? Not a good one, right? So we tell God, I am dying here. I can't do this. I can't take what you're doing inside me right now. And God said, I know, but we have to. I know you don't want to do it, but we have to. <coughs> That's what heart surgery is. We're going to talk about it more next week. It's really, really difficult. The surgery process is very painful. The recovery process takes time. Usually when you get out of surgery, you feel a lot worse than when you went in. Okay? This is not a fun process. But if God finds something in you that he has to fix, or, you'll, or it will make it so you can't go any further, this is it. This is the end for you. You cannot go any farther than that tear. Actually, in reality, you probably can't go any farther than that. And God needs to get you farther. And so he has to do surgery, whether you like it or not. And it's hard, it's difficult, it's so confusing. You will hate it. Some of you have already been through this. And this can, it, 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 maybe it's a tinier tear. And it takes a few days or a week. But maybe it's a few weeks. Maybe it's a few months. And I'm kind of focusing on the worst ones right now, you know, um, just to talk about it. But most of us have been through some of these, some of these repair works that God has done in our heart. And it's really hard. And the key is to cooperate with the Lord and not run away. Because we feel like he's the one hurting us. He's the one doing to us. He's the one abandoning us. This is all his fault. Where are you, God? You left me alone. And then we're Job. It's either my fault or God's fault. I am a horrible sinner, so God abandoned me. Or God abandoned me because he's a jerk. And we don't have any other answers to that. And the answer is, no, I'm fixing you. This is a good thing, even though it's hard. So we're going to talk about that more next week. Father God, we thank you and we rejoice for the hard stuff. We thank you that you are not willing to leave us broken and destroyed and with gaping wounds. You are not willing to let us sit with something festering in our heart that's going to kill us and choke off our life and choke off our fruitfulness. We thank you that you are a father who is good and loves us enough to make us go through surgery when we need it. And Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to recognize these times in our lives. 
Help us to recognize when you are doing this so that we don't fight you, we cooperate with you. So often when this is happening, we're, we're doing spiritual warfare <laughs> and praying for God to rescue us. And God's like, uh, it's me doing it, first of all. And secondly, you can't be rescued. You have to be fixed. That is the salvation in this situation, is you getting fixed, which means you have to go through the pain. Father, we are not good at this stuff. We are not good at when life is crushing us or burning us alive. We're not good at massive wounds on our heart, however they got there. We need your help, Holy Spirit, to walk us through this. So please help us to be more humble. Help us to trust you, to receive enough of your love that we know how good you are, that we have an easy time trusting. Whatever you're doing in our life, even when it makes no sense at all, no sense that we can trust you. And help us to rejoice in the middle of this sorrow and suffering and confusion and difficulty of life. Help us to have faith to both believe you and obey whatever you tell us to do. In these seasons, there will be things that you tell us specifically that we need to do. Help us to have the courage to obey that and help us to persevere. To stand up under the weight of it and when everything else has faded away that we are still standing. Less of us and more of you. We can only do this with you, through you, with your help. So I pray that you would help to reveal to ourselves when we need to cooperate in these areas and help us to see it in our friends and in our family, that we can help them through, that we would stop judging other people who are going through hard times and acting crazy and, and, and not acting like themselves and that sort of stuff, that we wouldn't judge that, that we would minister to it, that we would intercede for it, and that we could rejoice in our own brokenness like you did, Jesus. We thank you that you bear scars, not only on your body, but on your heart, and that you bear them still. We pray that you would help make our wounds into scars instead. We pray that you would bless us food to our bodies today. Bless this fellowship time. Bless us this week, this beautiful Minnesota fall that you give us. And I pray that we could be a light in the darkness of each other's lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we will continue this next week.